Welcome to the Faces podcast. We're a Christian and Muslim charity working to build resilience in faith communities against child sexual exploitation and other forms of harm. We'll be talking about what faith and interfaith work means to us and how we embed an inclusive and authentic approach throughout our work. Hello and welcome to our podcast. Uh, I'm Nigel Taylor. I'm part of the Faces staff and I've also got Melissa who is part of the staff with me as well. And uh, we host this podcast uh, and we've got special guests with us to discuss discuss some of the census figures that have come through recently. Uh, and on the chat, I have Peter. Do you want to introduce yourself, Peter? Hi, I'm Peter Adams. I work at St. Mary's Church in Luton, working with the churches and across the face in Luton, working for peace and reconciliation in our community. And I've also got the wonderful Rohana. Uh, Rohana, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, I'm Rohana Persil. I am co-chair of FACES. Okay, thank you. And I've also got Tony Thompson. Who is another co-chair of FACES and I lead one of the churches in Luton, Hope Church. Okay, thank you all. Um, So just uh, to set off our discussion on the census, um, I've got some things here. Uh, The English region with the largest population increase was the east of England, which uh, Luton is part of. Uh, It grew by about 8.3% or 488,000 more residents. And um, around the local area, um, around Luton, um, central Bedfordshire has grown. Um, Luton population size has increased by 10% from around 203,000 people in 2011 to 225,000 people in 2021. And uh, this is a higher than overall increase for England, which England itself grew by 6.6%. And um, and it's it, in population areas are shifting and changing. Um, one of the interesting things that has shifted and changed is the demographics within these areas. And uh, we've been looking at different statistics to do with that. And one of the interesting statistics is uh, Luton is one of three areas outside of London where the population is now more non-white than white. And also it has varying things within that that have shifted and changed. And um, having been in the area for some time, I have to say it's a very exciting and vibrant um, atmosphere and place to be around and in and working. And um, our team of experts online, as I would say, uh, have great knowledge of uh, different parts of the community or very engaged with the community. And um, so I, I value their opinions very well. And so I'll open up conversation and, and see uh, what people would like to bring to the fore. So we've got some statistics um, around that um, we've been looking at. Um, I think the overall population of Luton increased by 22,000 people. Um, The census in 2021 shows that Luton now has a non-white majority um, with 54% of the population being non-white. And so there's a lot of demographics in that. Um, But most of us have lived uh, around the area, lived in this area. These are not surprising statistics in many ways uh, to us, Um, but it's good to have figures that show where things are and are helpful in building resources 
and um, equipping the region. And so, so as faces, we're looking at this with with eyes on on child um, safety and safeguarding. We've got our eyes on 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 caring for the community, and and we've also got our eyes on the religious scene as well, and 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 what's happening there. And there's been massive shifts in that uh, during this time as well. So I'll open it up. I think uh, Peter, if you'd like to uh, launch off, and then we'll come to Melissa. Yeah, I think just to comment on particularly, I mean, obviously, I think it's really good that we move into the um, ethnicity and religion of figures, but actually looking at the the size and the growth and so on, one of the points there is that Luton um, has a high density of population. It's not just that we have a large and growing population, but we have a high density of population. <laughs> The uh, the census uh, uh, commentary tends to uh, describe it in terms of number of people per football pitch, and whereas the national average is about three people per football pitch of space of land, the Luton figure is around thirty one, I think, um, and is one the so about the highest outside of London. Yeah. 37, I think I've got here in front of me, but yeah, 37 okay. people. 37, um, I just missed the top of the, of the one there. Um, it's about the highest outside of London. Um, and I think that adds to the, that density adds to the, the dynamic and all sorts of things to our, to our community. That, that's all I have to say at the moment. Yeah, th thanks, Peter. Hi everyone. Um, yeah, Nigel, I'm glad you brought up the um, this idea that you know, well, the, the fact that, that we have a non-white majority now in Luton. But actually, it's worth obviously saying and reminding everyone that the total white population is still the majority uh, group in the majority demographic in Luton, and I think that can often get lost in how people talk about this. Um, and the second point is just you know, often we talk about um, in faces and in our training what these kind of terms really mean, because I'm sure you're going to have people who identify as white, who identify as black or Asian, British Asian, British Asian, uh, Indian, you know, all of these different um, categories um, that we may not necessarily perceive them to be. Um, and you'll have people who identify in a particular group who might actually kind of represent a completely different um, type of identity. And um, so it's not always helpful. And we try to sort of remind people that it's not always helpful to think we have the right idea about what these groups mean um, and certainly when we're talking about safeguarding when we're talking about different challenges that groups face I think it's just important to always have nuance in that as well yeah th thanks Melissa um, yeah and I think the, the this whole diverse nature of Luton is wonderful and I, I think that's a, a very good point that the largest population is is still white um, they, they largely um, still the largest group is, is Christian, um, although that dropped um, by about 10,000 people uh, over the 10 years, people identifying as Christian. And and I think um, that's there's some interesting statistics like that that come into the figures as well. Um, don't know if anyone else wants to come in here. One of the things that that data confirms to me is... Uh, what I've been saying for a long while is that Luton is post-secular 
and that there's a greater awareness of faith and religion in Luton than there are in other parts of the country. And I think that that's uh, an exciting uh, situation, but also it's quite challenging um, and puts a responsibility on us as people of faith to be able to play our part in the society that we live in and that contrary to what many people would think about actually secularism is the future, I think that uh, people need to come to terms with uh, that faith is real and certainly in Luton um, it is a major uh, factor and the majority of people in the town are people of faith. Yeah. I think that's a very good point. I think also um, the growth in people saying they of no religion doesn't mean their belief in God is less. I think it's their identification sometimes within that, with structured religion is, is part of that figure as well. Uh, talking to many people, they're just a little bit trying to work out what they believe. And I think there's some of that in that pool as well, which doesn't show up on the statistics. But talking to people, I think I've, I've found that quite often. Uh, Peter? Yeah, I think, I mean, the 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 religious figures probably the figures released last week produce more angst than any other, certainly in the headlines of the of the major newspapers and so on uh, the next day, was the reduction. And various things came out of that, like the the, um, the revival, the, just the revival of, of interest in, in disestablishing the Church of England and making, you know, reducing the impact of Christians and faith in, in parliaments and so on. Um, and that was the point. But actually, I think the, and that was driven a lot of that. I mean, the main commentators often in that were secular society, human, British humanists and so on, who have an ongoing, long-standing commitment to trying to take religion out of the conversation on the basis that they would argue that when religion's in the conversation, things go wrong. And what I suppose really, that's why I bring this up, is that as faces, we we specialise in countering that argument just by the nature of our work together, which is when faith is in the picture, things go right for us. And we we do what we do by being able to talk about our faith it, and refer to our faith, but not let our faith be a difference and a problem, but a, a resource, a reality, and something that is part of our perception of all that we do. And therefore, faith is really important. So I want to counter that angst about faith, where the particular figures of the number of Christians, the number of people who identify as Christians, the number of people who identify as Muslims and other in the town by saying, actually, you can see that as a negative, but actually we show that serves us well. Yeah. Thanks, Peter. Rohana, have you got any uh, comments you want to bring? Yeah, I think I'll just build on a little bit of um, some of the things that Peter and, and Tony um, has that has have commented there. But I think it's kind of also really important to recognise as we're having this conversation, um, we've seen some of the headlines that came, um, you know, when the, and 
anticipated. Some of the headlines that we saw when the um, religion and ethnicity data um, dropped at the tail end um, of November. Um, Britain has, you know, this anxiety around its black and brown populations is not new. Um, it's been an ongoing conversation that we've had um, and grappling with, you know, how um, Britain responds to its um, ethnic minority population, its black and brown population. That's 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 not new. That's a, you know, that's a, an ongoing anxiousness that has. Um, I'm sad, sadly, for people like me that has kind of infused um, within public discourse. I think what's really important for us, sort of, really to consider is a the, the, the implications of this, um, both, I guess, at a national level and, and local. Um, and so I'll, I'll pick up on, on some of those because we've had this discussion um, about faith. We know that um, Christianity is a, um, well, the Christian established church or people wanting to define themselves as Christian, you know, those numbers look to be in decline. Um, other belief systems um, are not. Um, the number of Muslims in Britain has grown. Um, and, and there is, I think, a need to um, have a discussion as much as, um, you know, Pete's mentioned that the humanists there, the humanists might want to have a discussion about the, the role of, of church and state I find it really interesting that those same organisations don't don't kind of stop to think. Actually, what's the role of these other faith groups that we, I hope, consider to be part, of, you know, of the fabric of our uh, of our community, of our society. That you know that we are um, we've been here for many generations. Um, you know, not just post-war, but you know, preceding that, we you know our histories are interlinked. And what's the place? of people like me, um, people who look like me within within this state. Um, so that's my first comment. I think the second comment, you know, in terms of local, um, what do these numbers tell us and what where, where should it kind of draw our eyes to? So we know nationally, um, the census data has told us that I think something like 39% um, of Muslims live in the most deprived areas of Britain. We can kind of look at that in the context of IFS data, which also tells us that, um, and I'm, get, I'm going to cross over a little bit between ethnicity data and uh, faith data because it's unfortunately not always as, um, you know, clearly uh, differentiated in the way that people do this kind of research. But IFS data puts um, ethnicity pay gaps, you know, British um, Bangladeshi males, British Pakistani males, um, experience the largest ethnicity pay gaps and actually um, when we look at um, child poverty in Britain um, British Pakistani and British Bangladeshi young people are more likely um, are the most likely demographic to be facing child poverty um, and in the Luton context certainly there is a significant correlation between um, or convergence between those who identify as British Pakistani, British Muslim, and British Pakistani, um, and so there's a there's sort of some questions for us to think about in terms of 
how are we supporting young people and and their families beyond the um beyond the kind of universal offers that are out there there is probably a need um to consider and i hope people are starting to consider um what this data tells us about our town and about the services and the provisions that we need to be providing tony quite rightly points out that luton is a is a faithful town however you know however people may want to dismiss it the, the the reality is the fact is for people in Luton faith is a really important element of our lives and we hear it um you know all of us engage with young people we hear um the growing importance of that actually faith in young people's lives um and I think there is I hope that this um the census and the discussions that ensue from it really draw people's eyes to to recognizing the importance of that and then actually considering you know given that we know um what our town looks like given that we know the structural disadvantage and the material disadvantage that those groups face nationally and within our borders um you know i hope that's that that's cause for reflection um in terms of um you know the kinds of support that we provide but also just in terms of how we how we function how we function on a really strategic level in our town yeah thanks rohana and um yeah, just waiting for someone else to come in. Anyone uh, want to go for Yeah, um, I think it's good to, you know, maybe talk practically about what we mean when we're saying that, um, so we're a very faithful town. There are a lot of people um, who believe in, in Luton. That should be taken into account when we're working with families, when we're working with children, when we're teaching RSE, for example, when we're responding to safeguarding concerns and safeguarding situations, and when we're reading potential safeguarding concerns and risks as well. We need to take um, the context of that child into account, and that includes potentially being from families of faith. Um but also how can we be more inclusive uh, and listen to those families? How can we make sure that whatever those universal offers that you mentioned, Rahana, are, that they are actually universal in that they are going to reach, um, you know, people from different cultural, ethnic backgrounds, religious backgrounds. Um, and that might be as simple as the food that we serve in our schools um, being uh, you know, having a, a dietary, uh, meeting a dietary need of the children, but also facilitating prayer spaces, making sure that lessons that talk about marriage, sex, relationships are taken into account those um, religious views as well, that young people will hear from their faith institutions, from their churches, mosques or other places, uh, from their families, and also that they'll hold as values themselves. You know, how do we... Um, say this really loudly that actually um as as tony put it we, we are a post uh how did you put it a post-secular town that's what you said <laughs> um i think that's something we need to keep repeating you know to to remind people that being inclusive which everyone wants to say they're being means considering all of these things um and sometimes there will be conflict between religious views between those who aren't religious and, and those who, who are but actually how do we navigate that and not just put all our weight on one side um you know to meet who actually might be a minority uh, in in the context of Luton yeah I mean and, and I think that requires a, 
considerable faith literacy. I mean, the the the, the secularist position that governs so much of our nation's processing over many decades was was one that marginalised faith as a as a and marginalised particularly faith literacy. And actually, to do the sort of stuff we do well requires a faith literacy that means it that doesn't that means we we take it into account as Melissa said when we're talking about diet we take it into account when we're talking about teaching of relations and sex education things like that because actually it 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 matters to so many and and that that is a often enough that faith illiteracy is a point of tension it's a point of discomfort for those who are not people of faith and that's where they need we need real conversation so people can recognize their discomfort in an area but also recognize that our talking about faith is not about us proselytizing but it's about us taking it seriously in the way we govern our own lives and we govern our relationships with others and 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 it's i think that's one of the things we've again coming back to what we've done is we've done well is that we navigate that that area well and probably i would say one of the most important things we can contribute to our post-secular society is to 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 help people navigate well in that world yeah go for it tony and I think the context we have in Luton, where we have uh, large numbers of, of different uh, groupings, so there are uh, different Muslims groupings, Pakistanis, Bangladeshis, uh, there is a large number still of, of white people, but also Caribbean, African people with different roots. And we have that opportunity, if we take it, of learning from each other, um, and I think that the, what is good in Luton is that there is a lot of that dialogue uh, as represented by faces uh, and within other contexts uh, of good active listening and not seeking just to impose our views on others, but seeking to learn about others. And I think that that has to be something that's modelled and the authorities uh, need to keep learning and growing in terms of doing that. The fact that there is such a diverse population in Luton that they have to listen to all the different demographics and the, to learn and to become literate in the different demographics uh, because they are different, but each of us have something to, to contribute to the whole. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, and I think I think also the 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 uh, no religion aspect um, that's been grasped by the, the humanists who who have the agenda of not having religion in the public square. Actually, that is a belief system, <laughs> and and it isn't the whole belief system of those figures either. And and I think one of the wonderful things is a lot of people understand each other and understand a fair bit about each other's beliefs. Um, when I've met with people in in Luton, and I think that's one of the massive strengths of the town, 
and and something that really should be known elsewhere in the nation. There's things to be learnt from a town like Luton that should help the whole national scene work better together. And and I think some of that faith literacy is really helpful with that. Uh, Tony? Well, just sort of building on that, but taking this in a different direction. One of the things that I've not heard spoken about, uh, but seems to be clear from the census data, is that people want to live in Luton. Mm. And so if the... If we've had sort of an extra 20,000 people or so arriving in Luton, well, all I can say is, well, that's because people want to live in a town like Luton with its cross-sections, with the, the things that you're talking about, Nigel. And rather than see it as a negative, uh, you know, let's, let's shout it out. Luton is one of the most popular places to live in Luton. Uh, people are wanting to, to live here and we certainly are pleased to be lived here and not surprised that others want to join us. Yeah, go, go for it, Peter, and then and then Rohana would be great to hear from you on this as yeah, well. I think just picking up on that, there is a, I think I would want to say that may be true, Tony, but there is also a clear indication of those who have left and that does include, sadly, white British. Um, and I think there we have a the reality of people, some of whom obviously are moving away because we have a high turnover, but some of whom are moving away because they're not prepared to adapt to living with the diversity that they experience in Luton on a day-by-day basis. And whilst I don't want to overemphasize that, that is a, a reality that I engage with. And I challenge because I want, you know, my, our own story is that we love it and we engage with it. And we we are, we are, it's a positive feature of our lives. But one that I don't, I try not to ignore because I do, I do find too many who are moving away and they particularly fall into our demographic. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Peter. Rohana? I'm just going to um, loop back on some of the, the points that Tony and, you, and yourself made uh, in terms of the importance of faith, because I do think it's really, really important. And certainly for us as, as faith is, uh, as faith is just to really kind of um, hone in on, on some of these ideas, because um you make a, a really valid point about kind of secularism being a faith system in itself, but I think a lot of the the, the kind of discourse around removing faith from the public sphere um, is underpinned by the belief that faith has a negative influence, mm-hmm. um, and I actually think that says something not very nice about the people who push that idea, and I and I and I. You know, I would certainly say as a Muslim, I feel that um, the the desire to ignore the importance of Islam in people's life is motivated by forms of um, racism. And I think, and I think I can say that, um, you know, as uncomfortable as it might be for people to hear it, I think we see ample evidence of that locally as well as as well as nationally. 
And I'm recalling as we're sitting here a conversation with um, providers of, of mental health support, and I'll, and I'll talk about it in very broad terms, um, so as, as not to kind of identify um, the people that I'm talking about. But we, I shared with them some research from a charity um, who had done some really, really interesting research with young Muslims um, who had all talked about the importance of faith in their healing. Um, and there were a number of accounts that particularly kind of um, struck me around um, people who had said that the only barrier between them and taking their own, between them taking their own lives was Islam, was their faith, was their belief, um, you know, in, 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 um, in God. And I was talking to um, these um, representatives of this organisation about this, and I just said, I think it's really important. And they just said, no, but we, we, we wouldn't do that. We wouldn't, we wouldn't, no, we wouldn't. It was just, it was not a conversation that they were willing to expand on. And I just thought, wow, even, even in this kind of life and death scenario, our faith is still positioned as something that we can't touch, that we won't talk about. Um, even when people are crying out to you and saying, you know, this is the thing that's going to help me. Um, you know, can, can I have this as part of the process of my healing? And we're turning around to people and saying, and saying, no, we can't. Um, and I guess that takes me, leads me into another point that Peter was making there about how the importance of listening. Um, I think over the years, I've probably done quite a lot of talking. Um, you know, I, I, I've, I've said this oftentimes, you know, I, I know the way that I am talked about. I am. I know the way that people uh, position me in conversations. Um, you know, a polite conversation will be characterised as a, as a as a rant or, oh God, it's Rahana going off again, you know. But um, for me, um, as much as you don't like that, you ignore that. And the, and, and the aim is that you've got to keep saying these things because, as I say, a lot of people's lives depend on it. But I think what we do need is for that to be heard more and to be supported more around those dialogues. So, yes, we have really diverse groups um, in, in Luton. I think there's a real piece of work and a real opportunity for here for all of us to come together, not just to listen to one another, but to uplift one another, to recognise the differential experiences that we are having, to recognise the different challenges that we are experiencing and speaking up for one another um, as much as we speak for ourselves. Yeah, I think that there's some great points there. And um, I, I, th I think this looking out for one another and and not just looking out for ourselves is so important and is really my experience of, of Luton has been a lot of that, um, people caring for, for each other and, and not, I know these figures divide people up, but there's a much more cohesion uh, behind these figures than that doesn't show up. And I think that's incredibly powerful. I'm just uh, wanting to bring this uh, to, to a landing point. I just wondered if there are any final comments you just would like to throw in before we, we, we close off. Yeah, I mean, there. yeah, this is just the beginning. There are so many more things that we could say, I mean, particularly around ethnicity and, and the, the, just the, the nature of Luton standing out as one of the most diverse communities in the country. Um, 
I mean, one of the things we faced over the years is an attention to Luton with the the sort of the the the, the narrative of the far right that so often comes up and summed up in terms of the what's called the great replacement theory where, you know, the whites have been replaced by everybody else and this is a conspiracy from the top and so on. And we are, we are leading the way in that. Um, that, that is, has inevitably found its way back into the, into the chat rooms and, and the, 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 the groups on social media that, that where, where it abounds backed up by the census. And I think it's important to acknowledge that it, it's a show in itself. It's a conversation in its own right. But everything that we've talked about is proof that actually whatever change we face does not threaten the possibilities of living together well in our society. And, and I think that's what I would end my, my comment at the end here, that however much of the negative narrative there is out there, actually life here can shows that things can go well when we make it a priority. Okay, thanks, Peter. And and I think um, the, the old statement when you start looking at figures is the, there's lies, damn lies, and then there's statistics. And people manipulate statistics for many, many reasons. And I think even though the narrative that you've described there, Peter, I look at these figures and I don't see it. Um, in looking at these figures, I see some other things going on. Um, and, and actually, I think in some of this, there needs to be a strong counter reaction to some of those things. And there needs to be a discussion that counters some of those narratives and uses figures like these. Um, I think really, to as I'm listening to you all sharing, uh, I'm sort of very taken with the figures of poverty that Rohana mentioned and and actually then looking at the numbers um on the screen in front of me and and i'm just sort of thinking really um with a large number of people who are from poor backgrounds there needs to be um some of that speaking into local government speaking into how things are divvied up how religion is taken into account how how people from different people groups some of the minority groups um, that are, are joining into the life of Luton, uh, that those groups are well looked after and well well approached and 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 well understood. I think that's the main thing. It's not making assumptions about people, but getting among them and discussing. Yeah, uh, Melissa. Thanks. Just as my final thoughts, um, diversity, as much as it's a very tired word, but diversity is good. Um, diversity brings opportunity. It brings you know opportunity for personal development and learning, organisational improvement, the way we practice and, and develop our systems and deliver projects and all of that. Those kinds of things with diversity being taken into account, all of that can be improved. Um, and the negatives that are often seen along with um, diversity, such as an increase in particular challenges like poverty for example or conflict that's not due to the the people themselves the people that result in a, a more diverse area that's due to the structural systems in place that disadvantage those groups um, on a on a structural level um, and that's what needs to be fixed not the diversity itself and um, that along with attitudes um, is is where the energy should go to and the rest of it we should embrace and celebrate. Yeah. 
Well, thank you all. Uh, it's been wonderful. Thanks, Melissa, for that that those final points because we really needed those as well. Um, so thank, thanks for that. And we'll we'll finish here. But please, wherever you are, really encourage that mixing of dis- discussion with different people, getting to know people and really understand them because you find some lovely people when you do that.